and welcome back to another edition of the Geek Whispers. I'm Amy Lewis. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm John Mark Troyer. And we are here live, live, live at VMworld 2016 with a very special return guest, Dominic Delfino. Dom, can you introduce yourself? Hey, Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good, so good. Tell, tell the one person who may not have heard your first episode uh, <laughs> who you are and uh, what you're up to these days. Excellent, excellent. So Dom Delfino, and I now lead the, both the sales and the systems engineering team globally for VMware's network and security business unit. So, well, I don't want to say that being on the Geek Whispers caused this <laughs> career change, but... <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, but it did. After, after much of your guidance and advisement, uh, Amy, I decided that I should challenge myself and uh, take on more work. <laughs> yes, because I didn't have enough historically. So, Well, we've got a bunch of things we want to follow up on. And in all seriousness, um, anybody who is listening who is a, a new listener, uh, go back and check the first episode. We're going to talk a little bit about it and sort of link to some things and talk about, talk about some new things as well. Um, so one of the things we really talked about last time was about uh, being an SE and mm-hmm. the art of the SE. You're, you're telling us you've got this expanded role. Have you gone dark side? Are you all slick back hair sales guy? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I am not. <laughs> it will never happen. It's a good question. You know, and I think um, for anybody, really, no matter what you do and what industry you do, I really loved being an SE, right? And I really loved being an SE leader. But I think you sort of do get to the point in your career where, you know, I had been an SE and an SE leader for 16 years, right? And, you know, throughout all the progressions in SE, a consulting SE, a post-sales at SE, a pre-sales SE, a consulting SE, and then an SE leadership for the last 12 years. And it's not that, you know, it's not a challenging job, but after a while, it sort of becomes the same challenge, right? And I think you, you sort of come to these inflection points in your career where you think to yourself, you know, is it time for me to somewhat make a lateral move and leverage the skills that I have while somewhat moving into an adjacency? Like, just like right. technologies companies do from a product strategy all the time, right? Hey, you know, I do networking. Like Can a career I do ne- pivot yeah, almost. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a career pivot. And I think it's important every now and then for people to sort of evaluate those bigger moves, mm-hmm. right? Um, for, for one thing, I think it, it can actually reinvigorate your career, right? right? Because it forces you, you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position, right? Like, like we talked about last time, you know, if you haven't done something before, you likely don't know how to do it and you won't know if you can do it until you go try. Right. So... And I think it was important for me, I think I sat back and I reflected on this for quite some time, is I think it's time for me to take on a new challenge. You know, and obviously you want to prove that you can do it to the people around you, but I think more importantly, you want to prove to yourself that I can take on a new challenge where I'm forced to learn some new things, some new skills, manage new types of people, and do it successfully. So I think it was a big thing for me. It's, you know, am I going to be an SE leader for 26 years, 36 years, 40 years? You know, eventually, when you get bored with something, right? right? When you get sometimes when you get really good at something you get bored because it's right. not as challenging yeah. anymore. And like I said, it's not that it's not challenging, it's just sort of the same challenge. You can get a little bit laxed and you could lose that edge. And you don't want to lose that edge. You don't want to lose that passion about what you do um, because you'll just you'll become mediocre over time. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point that if you find yourself kind of dialing it in, then it's time to or, you know, for anybody. Yeah. Not to say you were Don't be comfortable. Yeah. That's, and I yeah. think that's the message there. You, you know, you need to consistently be comfortable at being uncomfortable. Mm. Because it means you're pushing yourself, you're stretching yourself, you're challenging yourself. If you're comfortable, well, 
you know, if you want to take a little bit of a breather, maybe that's a good strategy, but it's not a very good long-term career strategy. So tell me this, going from a, you know, senior engineer to a leader of an engineering group to continuing on to grow in the scope that, that you're doing, like, how do you, how do you continue to challenge yourself? Like, how do you find, like, this is the moment where I actually want to make that pivot to, to take on an even larger team? Like, you, you don't, necessarily know what those challenges are ahead of time so how do you know you want to take them on and and did you uh did you approach uh folks for the new role or did they approach you uh great question i was approached and it's something that you know in in a company like vmware in an area as critical as nsx is to to the growth of the company right not just of, of a product line these things are somewhat methodically orchestrated and planned out okay so you know the first thing you'll always get from your boss is great, but you can't do anything until you find your backfill for your old role, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because don't think that you're going to put that recruiting load on somebody else, right? So, so, you know, there's sort of a plan in the sense that, okay, I've got to make sure, step one, that I'm going to find somebody who's going to take care of the SE organization as well as I did. And even though it's still going to report to me, I want that person who's ultimately the vice president of systems engineering to be looked at as somebody who has their best interest in mind as well as the best interest of the business and the company. So that's step one. And I think you have, especially when you're moving some to a role internally, you sort of have an idea of what the challenges are going to be. Sure, you've seen but, it. But you okay. don't know what the problems are, right? And, and, <laughs> yeah. and I think that, that's the difference, right? The, the role's going to be challenging. It's revenue growth. It's pipeline generation. It's uh, moving customers into production. It's acquiring new customers. It's repeat business. It's all of the typical metrics that we've been around for a long time. And, you know, those you know going into it, it it's, uh, you know, when you, you don't really know where all the bodies are buried in until you get in the role and you say, okay, why do we have a challenge in this particular area? It's, oh, because we have a problem in this particular area. You know, and I think one of the things that we should probably spend a few minutes talking about is, you know, one of my biggest assets and flaws simultaneously is I think it's sort of uh, culturally indigent to New Yorkers where when we see a problem... <laughs> You know, you we, yell we, 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 you we yell at it, we attack at it, it <laughs> and we, we want to drive a truck through it, right? And, and we actually want to, we want to get to the root of the problem as quickly as possible, right? And, you know, when you take that approach, you, ha- you have to be very careful, right? Because, okay. you know, I don't know if we talked about it last time. On the spectrum of behavior, on one end, you have sort of passive-aggressive, and on one end, you sort of have aggressive and the proper approach is to be assertive. And the challenge with being assertive is it takes a lot more time, right? So you start to ask questions like, you know, you, you want to ask leading questions in order to be assertive versus, you know, passive aggressive means you say something stupid and we all say, yay, that's awesome. We think you're the best, right? <laughs> um, we and love you, boss. Yes. Versus aggressive, which is versus just aggressive like... aggressive is, boy, you're dumb. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day, right? I thought we were going to have aggressive aggressive um, on the spectrum, which is just going to be New yes, Yorker. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, there are yes, a lot of companies yes, like that, right? There are some companies Italian, that, that Yorker, think right? that that's yeah, the way to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, to be aggressive internally. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and I like and, the distinction. Know, that's important yeah, for yeah, people it's, it's, when we say that, especially in an industry, frankly, that's somewhat dominated by males, that you can be, there's aggressive and there's assertive. There, and and there's a distinct difference between the two. There is a distinct difference. And the bigger problem is actually passive aggressive, right? So that's the biggest cultural problems you see in many large corporate environments um, and that because then you never solve the problem, right? Aggressive, you'll solve the problem. You'll just probably burn a lot of bridges along the way. Yeah, you'll have more bodies. <laughs> yeah, more bodies. <laughs> There'll be some nuclear wasteland in between your start and your destination. So, so, so can you dive into assertive 
of a little and how to differentiate yeah. that from just getting pissed off and yelling at somebody? Right. How to do it without crossing the line yourself? Being assertive is really about asking leading questions, right? So it's about, hey, Matt, why do you think that we should do X, Y, and Z in order to achieve, you know, A, B, and C. And it's really about drawing it out of them and making them come to the conclusion that their idea sucks, right? So versus you telling them uh, your yeah. idea sucks, right? Because, what if they don't get it? You know, and, and Isn't that if, always if, a concern? If you ask the correct leading questions, you can sometimes, you can lead the horse to water. Now, you cannot force them to drink. But typically when you're dealing with this, it's, it's not on a one-on-one conversation. When you're dealing with this in a one-on-one environment, sort of, you know, passive-aggressive, aggressive, assertive is, is less relevant, right? Because okay. you, can, you can have a direct conversation without any of this being in the open, right? So they're not going to be embarrassed about, you know, in front of their peers if you say, hey, let's cut to the chase. I really don't think that's a good idea and here's why, yeah. right? And, you know, so you can do that in a one-on-one. But when you're in a big meeting with five people, eight people, ten people, you know, you can't throw them under the bus in front of everybody in the company. No, either, no, yeah. Because right? right. then they react negatively. They react they, negatively. Everybody and, sort of closes yeah. in and leans back in their chair. And it is a tactic that I sometimes follow my own advice and I sometimes revert back to my... <laughs> Absolutely. We're um, all human. Yes. yes. Well, but, and, and this sort of leads into uh, some of the conversation I'd like to have about in the new role. You're talking about how to create this culture of a certain as opposed to passive aggressiveness. And one of the things that popped in my head, to Matt's point, if you continue to ask leading questions and the person doesn't arrive there, you know, there might have to be personnel changes or an evaluation of skills gaps. Mainly, how do you start to build a team and manage a team like this? Give us some of the, the management philosophy. And listeners, I will own that uh, you may or may not know, Dom is one of my mentors. And uh, Unfortunately li- for her. <laughs> yeah. Don't, before you sign up for a mentorship with Dom, know that there's homework and work. It's not easy. It's not just, you know, all giggles yeah. and, and, and free know, advice, no, right? No, yes. I get paid in biscotti, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, and bacon, apparently. <laughs> still waiting on the bacon part of it. Got to balance your diet. Bacon wrap biscotti. How about that? <laughs> I'm in. But yeah. give, us, give us some of those, when you talk about building that culture, that culture of sharing, that culture of assertiveness, yeah, it, how do you get the right people? How do you retain the right people? Talk to us about this. So, you know, and I think the philosophy I've always tried to instill in my leadership team is about attract, recruit, retain, build, develop, and lead, right? And I think one of the things, you know, when I first showed up at VMware, it's like day two or three, I've got my SE team at the time in one room. It's, you know, maybe 50 people. Now it's like 280 people. And the first words out of my mouth is... I'm going to build a relationship with you established on the premise of trust. And I'm going to have to earn that trust from you. It's not implied, right? You respect people for a variety of different reasons. I respect you because you're my boss and you can fire me or you control my pay raises and my stock grants and what opportunities I get to work on. I respect you because of your track record. I respect you because of your reputation. But if I trust you, you have loyalty, right? And if I trust you, I'm probably willing to do a lot more for you and with you than if I just respect you. Okay, And you really have to earn that trust. What you have to show people fundamentally is not that you know, you're here to give them everything, right? But that when you make decisions, when you make business decisions, they impact people. And you have to put your team's both personal and professional interests in mind when you're making decisions that impacts the people on your team. Okay? And... You can have that open, honest dialogue. You know, I just had an SE on my team yesterday who, you know, wants a new role. And, you know, there's sort of a disconnect between 
what he wants and what exists, mm -hmm. right? Mm. And having an honest conversation with somebody makes that easy. Being shady and political about it makes people retract and pull back. So if I sense distrust, I don't want to be loyal to you, right? And, and if I don't build loyalty with you, why would you want to work for me? When working with building trust with people, trust is based on having answers at times. And while I haven't been a leader of an organization, it seems the further up in an organization, the less certainty you get to work with at times. There's a lot of moving parts. So how do you provide that coverage for people where you're giving them the opportunities within the, the space you have while also acknowledging that there's ever-changing climates in the company overhead that you're responsible for buffering? Yeah, so, and I think uh, it, it's interesting, and, you know, I've seen this myself personally in my own behavior, and I, and I see it now in um, people on my team's behavior all the time, right? I think when you're an individual contributor, uh, you've actually got a pretty broad view of a company, right? If you work in a technology company, you've got a view of the customer, you've got a view of your product, you've got a view of support, marketing, services, sales, so you've, you've got a pretty broad view. And, and I actually think you just said that it made me think it's a little bit unbiased in a different way, you know, because right. to Matt's point, if you've got these things in your head that you know something's coming or right. you know, as an individual contributor, you have a, a pure vision in some ways of your, you from do. your perspective. You do, you do. And um, you also know what all the problems are of the company. Yeah, right? that's true. That is, <laughs> right. that is true. And, you know, you sometimes feel the need to escalate them all up to your boss. <laughs> and I think, you know, <laughs> we we know what all the problems are too. We know we can't solve them all, so we no. don't try to, right? And I think it's very interesting. Whenever you hire, uh, you interview an individual contributor to become a manager, many of them will list out all the things they're going to do when they get in day one. It's like day one, I'm going to get in the job. I'm going to fix these 27 issues that we have in this company, and I'm like, pick three, pick three, pick one, yeah, <laughs> pick three. You know, and I think that it's part of of that. You know, as a leader of a big business or a big organization. You know, there's still only 12 hours in the workday, right? You know, you, you don't get a 16 or 18 or, or 28 hour workday. So there becomes a point where you can only do so much and you have to pick and choose your battles, right? If some of these things are problems because they're really hard to solve, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You, right. you know, right. if they were That's easy problems, they would have been fixed already by somebody who could have fixed it, right? So, and I think having those conversations, okay, how are you going to fix them all? Yeah. Right? How are you going to fix them all? Here's the three things I'm focused on and here's why. Right? Right now I'm focused on the channel, I'm focused on PSO, and I'm focusing on the continuing evolution of this team in our business. That's it. That's what I'm focused on. Right? And you know, if we got a product problem, there's probably a guy who knows how to write code better than I do who's probably going to be better at fixing it. Yeah, right? Yeah. That you know? seems to speak to your question, Matt, in terms of uh, be honest about what you are doing. Acknowledge right. there's more out there, right. but limit the scope. And acknowledge these things are problems and, you know, everybody... You know, as you approach life, you have to pick your battles, right? You really do. And, you you know, I, I, I think it was one of the coaching I got early on in my career by a mentor I had was, Dominic, you can't fix every problem. You've got to pick your battles. You've got to prioritize. You've got to think about what's the three things, four things, five things that you can really impact. And then you've got to communicate that down. Here's what we're focused on doing. It's a lot of uh, life, right? You try to worry about the things you can control and yes, try not absolutely. to worry about the things right. you can't control. You have internal factors and external factors, right? But I also really appreciate the acknowledgement of uh, broader issues, too, and maybe the redirecting of those issues to the appropriate channels because there, there's something to do with the not feeling like you're crazy as an individual oh, yeah. contributor yeah, right. when you see a problem. And when you have a, a VP, SVP, somebody senior up there saying, like, yeah, no, I see that, too, and I'd love for us to fix it. Let's route it this way because they're more appropriately staffed for it. Not 
not tell you everything's great. Yeah, not just be like pat, pat, pat. Oh, no, it's good. Everyone, Our customers love it that way. <laughs> well, and, and to scale this out, I have to uh, call my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of Dom's advice, which I use daily and I teach. So uh, to give full trademark credit to you, talk to us about the 3Ds. The 3Ds. The 3Ds of management. Duck, Those dive, are, dodge, are, and no. Like, you know, conceptually very close. Right? So uh, um, it is deal with, delegate, and disappear. And everything goes that comes in goes into one of those three buckets, right? Like I, I've always told people, you know, you've got a to-do list. Do you have a to-don't list, right? You know, here's what I'm not going to do, right? Because people will just barrage you with stuff, right? Like I said, this is part of picking your battles, part of prioritizing, part of focusing on what you can impact is everything comes in with three things, right? There's three buckets I put everything in. Every request that comes into me or every p- potential action that I need to take, I'm going to do it myself, I'm going to delegate it and ask somebody on my team or in the business to, hey, here's a challenge, an opportunity, a problem, whatever. Can you go deal with it, please? Right? I, I, I say please sometimes. <laughs> Suggestively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or disappear. Yeah. Hey, great. I know that's a problem. I don't have time for it. It's kind of, you know, somebody else's thing. You know, here's the other thing is we've also got to teach everybody that everybody has to do their part. Right? Like play your you Play your role. Do what you're responsible for. Don't worry about what they're responsible for. You know what? They might screw it up and it's going to be a problem. And that might have impact and ramifications to you. Sometimes you've got to let people make mistakes. Right? So um, it's sort of the best way I know how to deal with these things, right, is, is really to break things down into much smaller, more simplistic problems, right, particularly when they're very big, hairy, complicated ones, right? And it works, Can I have I to say. Yeah, it I, does work. I, yeah. I will, anybody who's like, oh, that sounds too easy, when you start to put that framework on your day, it is amazing. Like, I have scaled out, and my problems are small world problems. Compared to yours, my team is much smaller, but it was a huge transition for me, and it made a huge difference to not try to do everything myself, to get out of that individual contributor mindset. And I'll give you one more data point, right? We never live in a perfect world. Nobody does. Every company who's got people who are bad employees, every technology company's got software that's got bugs, every technical support team has a person who has a cranky day when they answer the phone. (laughs) There is no utopia. It doesn't exist. Unicorns don't exist, Amy, right? So, um, uh, you know, saying it so, and, 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 and it's, some people, you know, you, you know, there's a saying, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side because somebody took a crap on it, right? Yeah, just more fertilizer. That's the only reason this, this you know, it, it's not real. What's the saying so, now? <laughs> um, and, and I think we need to put that in perspective. This is the engineering dilemma you have, right? We're engineers, we engineers, we fix problems. That's yeah. what we do. Not every problem is fixable. Okay, so you got to understand what you're going to deal with, what you're going to delegate, what you're just going to say. You know what? Yep, it's a problem. It's been a problem forever. It's going to be a problem forever. We sort of work around the problem. We don't really fix that problem, just because there's much bigger and higher priority problems to deal with. Dom, I'm kind of curious. When you first became a line manager, right, that first level manager, and thought about what VPs of giant global corporations did. I don't know. Are there any surprises, like thinking about your past self, about what they would think about your current self? about either how complicated or how simple the job is and how and, and, and vice versa, how, now that you're looking at your past self, what that guy did or didn't do yeah, as yeah. a first-line manager. It's, it's, this is a great question. Yeah, and absolutely I do. Um, I think that, A, the first thing you need to realize is you will never be smarter than the collective intellect of your team. And that goes if you've got two people or 2,000 people, right? Chances are you could find any two people 
in the Mandalay Bay, and them two combined is going to be smarter than me, right? Is that a relevant argument? Is that a fair argument? So, you know, you do really need to realize, at this point, if you ask me to take on more responsibility, it's not like I could really work much harder than I already am. It's not like I could really fly many more miles than I already am. So... Whether you're the leader of an engineering organization or sales or support or you're a CEO company, your first job is to be a leader, right? And, you know, clearly, even if you're uh, the senior VP of R&D, are you writing the code yourself, right? Like, like the whole operating system, the whole application, right? Are you building the entire data center yourself? No. You're a people leader first. And I think when we look at People who lead big organizations and executive big teams, you know, Steve Jobs didn't build the iPod or the iPad or the iPhone. He led the team that built the iPad and the iPod and the iPhone. He motivated them. He kept them on track. He challenged them. He pushed them. He drove them. And I think, you know, that is the most prevalent piece of the role. Of course, there's domain expertise. If you're a CFO, you got to know things like sure, about, sure. you know, uh, how to fill out a profit and loss statement, right? There's domain expertise that's relevant to everything that we do, but your first job is to be a leader because you, you might have 400 people who are doing things. Do you think like first-time managers think that the SE leader is just the biggest, strongest SE? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You make the mistake, or people, not you specifically, but but people make the mistake all the time. And we talked about that a little bit last time. Let's make the best SE or the super SE, the SE leader, right? Sometimes it works, right? But it's not the only criteria. Just because you're a good, great SE doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader, right? Like we said last time, it's no longer about you. SEs like it to be about me. I'm the hero. I'm the rock star. I close the deal. I help the customer. I solve the problem, right? When you become a leader, it's about your team. And we measure people by the quality of their team. I don't care if you're great. you got eight people working for you who suck, that, which means you suck. That was such a big thing for me and something you taught. Yeah. And that was kind of my biggest realization in this last year of becoming, it, you really do disappear. You may have an individual contributor task, but you have to disappear. Your team always has to come first. Mm-hmm. And one of the other just practical tips that you taught me, and I think it, it helped me get into that mindset of it's not about you, it's about the people. Uh, right. Dom's homework was, I am in meetings all the time. And he's like, I don't care. You've got two weeks. Get a one-on-one on the calendar. And you have a practical bit of advice of like half an hour for this or an hour for this, you know, every week or every other week, depending right. on. And there's some criteria to sort of evaluate, like how much do they need you? What kind of guidance do they need, et cetera? And he's like, you've got two weeks to do this for your whole team. And I'm to like, have one, To have one-on-ones with to the have whole team. one-on-ones, like with the whole yeah. team and have a regular schedule set up. And I'm like, Dom, I don't have any time. Of course, I'm whining with my like few people, and he's got like three thousand, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, I can't do it. And he's like, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the it, most it, important thing I did. It was great advice, and you made me do it, and yeah. it wasn't easy, and it's made every bit of difference to kind of engage quickly and and be the person, be one to one connected with people. It's a good example of you know I don't have the time. Now you make the time, right? It's odd, but sometimes when you ask people to do things, they'll actually do them. Right. If you don't ask them, they might not. Right. And, and, you know, it's like, well, why isn't this happening? I don't know. Did you ask them to do it? No. Did you just expect to happen on its own? Out of, you know, ESP, mental telepathy. I don't know. You sleep on the the book. You know, what are you doing? You know, and uh, sometimes you ask people what to do at a much lower rate. You tell people what to do. Right. So, you know, 90 percent of the time. I tell people, well, if you ask your team what to do, so let's say I want to, for example, I want to drive a new product sale, okay? If I get on my sales call, forecast call, and I say to you, hey, Matt, what's your forecast for new product A? 
and you weren't expecting that question. You didn't know I was going to ask you that question. So you say, hey, I don't know. Next Monday comes along, we get on our sales forecast call, and I say, hey, Matt, what's your forecast for product A? You say, I don't know. Do you think maybe by the next Monday you say, you know, my boss might ask me what my forecast is for product A, and I probably don't want to say I don't know for the third week in a row in front of all my peers, so maybe I should go figure that out before the next meeting. Nice. And, and it's really that simple sometimes is asking someone to do something. Yeah. Right? If you don't ask, it's inspect what you expect. If you don't inspect what you expect, you shouldn't have very high expectations. Brilliant. I really wanted to dig in for a second in the delegation aspect of it because delegation can be tricky when you are a subject matter expert. And so you've got to... Maybe a little micromanager? Eyes on you, Matt. Look look at you too, Amy. (laughs) When you're delegating things, how do you delegate clearly to make sure that what you're delegating, like people end up grok what is and isn't the responsibility of that work? Because sometimes people, like you can give them a problem that you think is simple and they can explode it into this giant scope creep of a problem. Uh, So how do you do that at your level? I think... um Delegation tells you a lot about the people on your team, right? Including who you can really rely on. And you have to be careful because you have to make sure that people are not only managing up, meaning I delegate something, they do it one day and they get it back and it's fantastic, but you start to realize that all they're doing is the things that I'm asking them to do, not the other things that they should be doing as well, right? So, but you also start to realize, and I, and I realized, uh, you know, maybe eight or nine years ago that, you know, there's some people I delegate things to and I've got to sort of stay on them. Like, hey, where are we with this? Where'd you do this? When can I expect this? When can I expect that? And you start to get to a point where with people like that who are not reliable when you delegate things, where it's just easier to do it yourself, mm. right? Because if I've got to remember to remind you about everything I've asked you to do, yeah. um, I probably delegated to the wrong person, right? Mm. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad employee. Maybe it does, but it, you know, it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person or a bad employee. And there's some people I could say, hey, you know, Amy, I need you to do this. And you know that Amy's going to go away, she's going to do it, she's going to do a great job, and she's going to do it in a timely manner, right? And as you build a leadership team, you know, you truly need diversity. And I think we talk about diversity and inclusion in the tech industry a lot now. And, of course, there's uh, uh, gender diversity, there's racial diversity. But what you really need is what the byproduct of that that you really want is thought and skill diversity, right? There's sort of this implied understanding that people from different backgrounds and cultures and genders have different skill sets and different capabilities, right? So ultimately... In my view, what that is about is getting that skill diversity because I want somebody who's uh, really good at OpenStack on my team. I want somebody who's really good at you know containers on my team. I want somebody who's really good at doing development plans on my team. So as a team, we're very well-rounded. I don't want you know eight clones of Dominic. Yeah, that'd be right? terrifying. I know everything I need to know about Dominic, including all of his flaws, right? <laughs> I think I, that's the biggest mistake people make, actually, is, is the hiring themselves. That is the biggest mistake, is don't hire people like you. Because, of course, people with a nice, healthy ego are like, you know what? I like me. I like me a lot. And yes. I feel comfortable around me. Well, if you and don't I want to like hire you, more me. If you don't like you, who is going to like <laughs> you, right? So, When we were, we were talking about the delegation of things and that you have the reliable versus unreliable person you're delegating to, I think uh, something you hit on really well was the trust element of your leadership style. Because uh, I've seen people in a, in a role where they're delegated to, but they don't trust that they can say no. 
So if you can't say no when you have too much on your plate already, you're probably going to not deliver on everything. Yeah, and you're probably not going to be very good at it. And, and, you know, I push back plenty of times. Sometimes even uh, not only because I already have too much on my plate, some because at times because I just don't feel it's my responsibility mm-hmm. to do it, right? You know? That is really important because yeah. I, I think that yeah. goes two and, ways. Because of... you're talking about that is in some ways your individual contributor, your role. Right. Um, meaning that if somebody above you asks you and you know you're not going to be successful for X, Y, or Z reason, like that's part of your success as well is saying what you can and can't do. And, and I'll tell you, I, I was at my uh, CEO's e-staff meeting, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, right? And, you know, we raised a problem in a certain aspect of the business. And, you know, Pat Gelsinger says, and who's going to do that, Dom? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> So-and-so is going to do that, right? A, you know, you know, it's like, well, if I have to do your job, why do we need your team? Right? If I have to fix I didn't say that part. <laughs> no. I did, I, I did think that, but I didn't say it. No, and it's true. It's it, Part of delegation is if you give something to somebody and they're really good at it, it doesn't mean it gives you the right to just keep giving them stuff all the That's time because point. they're really good at it, right? Because they will, you know, you can screw over right. some of your best workers too, I would think, because right. then you're overly dependent on them. You're overly dependent on one individual, right? And, you know, like I said, you know, am I the best person to fix that problem? If I think there's somebody else, A, who should be fixing that problem to begin with, if they're incapable, that's a different story, and that's probably yet another problem that we need to solve. But, you know, if there's somebody who owns a, you know, let's say, um, you know, i got to fix, uh, you know, we've got a problem, let's say, with QA. Okay? Completely arbitrary. I'm making this up. Um, and, uh, you know, I go in and raise the problem and say, hey, we've got a problem with QA. Bugs are slipping through, and, you know, we're not testing at scale. And, and you know, Pat says, and, you know, okay, Dominic, are you going to fix that? No. No, we have people who run QA. You know, they need to fix that. We're raising the issue, making them aware of it. You know, if you've got a sales or an SE problem, uh, yeah, I should probably fix that. Yeah. And if I can't, you should probably fire me or demote me or move me somewhere else to the side, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's got to do their part. No one person can do everything. You know, these general manager roles, right, like I'm a, I'm, I'm a GM People aren't really general managers, right? You know, you're not really good at everything. And that's why we have different organizations in a company with different domains of expertise and different levels of responsibility. So one other thing I wanted to sort of tie back to something we had talked about at first, when you talked about respect versus trust, because that's it's a very interesting concept managerially. And I think also sort of as your individual contributor self, how do you conduct yourself in a way, how do you flag to a manager that, um, that you're trustworthy because you talked about, you know, you had to earn trust, but what do you look for in that hiring process and building these teams? To, you know, I'm sure there are people you respect. How do you know when you trust? What are some of the qualities as employees we can have that we can build on? Look, there, there are some things in this world that take zero talent, right? Being on time, being motivated, being ambitious, right? Being a self-starter. Those are the things, you know, you always look for the person first, and then the skill and the experience second or third, right? This technology can be taught unequivocally. You can teach anybody how to use Windows. My mother has a PC, okay? <laughs> it's painful, trust me. Um, she never even knows how to use Facebook and email. So, you know, you can teach people those things. You can't teach people these other basic human skills of sort of being a good person, being a good employee. So you look for those things first. And then... You know, in terms of uh, respect versus trust, 
you can't have an ego when you get into these bigger roles, right? Like, you're an executive at a technology company. Great. You in half of Silicon Valley. So, <laughs> you, you know? You know, and, and it is about the relationships that you hold with those people. And I remember, um, you know, there, there was somebody who'd been promoted from a manager to a director. And suddenly, like, you know, his head got a little bit too big for one pen plaza. And it was the type of person who would walk down the hall, and if you weren't a vice president or better, would just stick his nose up in the air and turn his head the other way and walk right past you. Right? And I think, you know, this is about relationships. You know, just much like, not all of sales, but part of sales is about relationships. If you can't have a relationship with the individual contributors on your own team, how could you have a relationship with a customer? Because guess what? Great, you know, point. okay, so you're an SE and I'm a vice president or a senior vice president or an executive vice president. When the SE or the developer or the sysadmin or the network architect or the security engineer at your customer calls you, you're going to have to deal with them. So you can't even deal with the people on your own team. How are you going to deal with them? Right, and I think that's where you break trust, you break loyalty, you you people lose all respect for you, because they realize that you don't care about them personally or professionally. You only care about yourself and your career moving forward. So I think that's the big delta. Is it's you know how do you hire? How do you build the big teams? You know a lot of that is at your reputation. This is Silicon Valley. You know anybody who's any good could work almost anywhere they want. Absolutely. So why should I come work for you? And I have to tell you, I I had an interview with somebody, and he was a jerk to me on the phone. He was a total jerk, right? Aggressive and questioning, you know, my skill set and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not sure why, but I showed up for a second interview, a live one with this individual, and he was much nicer and much more cordial, and it was a a much better conversation. And he says to me, you know, do you have any questions for me? I said, yeah, well, you know, I kind of looked at your track record. And it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, for the sense of anon- anonymity. Anonymity? Yeah, that, that word. Um, it's like Cirque du Soleil. Yes, yes. That was much better that time. That's much you better. Know, I won't say, but I said, you know, hey, you worked three years at this company, three years at this company, three years at this company. Not really a track record that impresses me. Why should I come work for you? And he practically crapped himself right there in the chair. You know, but, and, and that's the difference. You know, people have opportunities this is a, you know, this is America. It's an at-will employment country, right? You know, why do I want to come work for you? And I think you need to think about that as a leader, right? Is why do people want to come work for you? Because back to what I originally said is, it is about the people. You are never going to be collectively smarter than your team. You cannot do the work of 100 sales reps or 200 SEs. And, and that leads perfectly into uh, the question, my favorite question, of course. Um, but as a leader... What is one thing that you will never do again? What's a mistake that you've made kind of in transitioning here that you're like, yep, that's one I don't want to do again? Um, what time is this podcast end? <laughs> <laughs> Just one? one got to narrow yeah, your focus I, I down. Think, um, um, got to really limit how much you're doing at once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think um, the best decision, uh, you know, the best, the best mistake I ever made that I learned the most from and that I think anybody could learn from was um, never make an emotional career decision. That's a really good one. And the second part of that is always have a long-term plan. So I see a lot of people, you know, they get upset, they get frustrated, they they got a new boss and the new boss is a jerk or they got put on a new team and they don't like the role and they, they make a quick decision, right? Versus being methodical and very much thinking out, you should think about your, always think about your next career step 
not as a plotted, calculated thought process, but as a very good career plan about how does my next career step open up more opportunities for me, right? I don't care about a director job because it might lead to a VP or I care about a VP job because it might lead to, uh, you know, a senior VP job because, you know, as we've talked about, it's sometimes worthwhile to make lateral moves, right, mm-hmm. to open up more opportunities. What I want to know is that if I get into this next role, that it's going to open more doors for me. Not that it's going to open more doors for me to more money or more promotions. It just it's going to open more doors to more opportunities for me. That's what I really look for. So I think those two things, it's never make an emotional career decision. If you're angry and you're upset or you feel you're underpaid or your boss is a jerk or you didn't get the promotion or you didn't get the thing, it's time to take a step back and take a deep breath and really think about it. Talk to your mentors. Talk to your husband or your wife or your brother or sister or your mother or father, right? And, and really... Calm down before you make a decision. Because I did once, right? I, I got emotional. I made a bad career decision. I left the company. I went to another company. I got there, and, I, and you know, in 30 days, I figured out, oh, this place sucks. Yeah. I, it, it, it's, it's, it's more sucky than the other place. So <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have done that. But I was quick. Somebody was offering me a lot more money. And, and, and this is the other thing. People get baited by money all the time. They get baited by money. And, and it's usually not life-changing money that they're getting paid. You know, if, if you're making $150,000, 175 is not going to make you rich, right? Um, or if you're making $400,000 and somebody offers you four twenty-five, you're probably not going to leave just for that $25,000. You're going to have a much more um, um, internalized thought process about why you might take that out of the top. Yeah. Don't just look at the spreadsheet of you know, right. profit and loss of right. personal. Yeah. No, that's great. Great advice, as always, Dom. I'm uh, mentally naming your business book that uh, I'm going to convince you to write before this is all over. M- mentally naming it? Yes. I think it's, uh, you know, world domination. There's a lot domination, of... Domination. Yeah. Right? I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of options. Domalophacy. 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 Now yeah. that's my Cirque du Soleil. I can't <laughs> say that yeah. one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so... If people want more of the, uh, I'm not even going to try to say the Dom of Philophacy again, but uh, I did. Um, where can they find you online? Uh, you can get me on LinkedIn. You can get me on Twitter, at Dom Delfino, all one word, at Dom Delfino. Um, those are probably the two best ways to get me. Excellent. Great. Well, we know you're super busy, and we really appreciate you taking the time. I know our listeners do, too. Uh, so really appreciate you sharing some of those philosophies. I can't even say the word falafels. 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 Thank you for sharing your falafels. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Thanks, guys. Great to be here again. And that's it. We'll see you next time on The Geek Whispers. You've been listening to The Geek Whispers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers or at Jay Troyer, MJ Brender, and Comms Ninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time.